Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What is good, everybody? Welcome to the Football Cheat Sheet. As Michael Kist would say, it is time to make some good decisions. I, of course, am not Michael Kist. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero from Niners Nation, filling in for him. But don't worry, you won't have to hear much of me because I am very happy to be joined, as we are every Friday, by Kate Majuk of DK Nation. What is up, Kate? Oh, I am just uh, fizzling. I, so I'm a Steelers fan. And just before we recorded this pod... Uh, we we just had the release of J.J. Watt from the Houston Texans. Very excited about that uh, as a Steelers fan. <laughs> I, I I know, I know, cap space, uh, but I'm just reeling at the thought of of a potential uh, T.J., J.J., all of the J's uh, lining <laughs> up on the defense in Pittsburgh. I'm flying high. T.J. already tweeted a gif of The Rock with like the come hither hand motion. He's already <laughs> trying to get J.J. to come aboard. Yeah, I, I know cap situation, but when it's convenient, the cap space is a myth. So mm-hmm. that that's what I, I like to go with. And you're a Steeler fan. Did you see that the Pounceys have retired from the NFL? So that's bad news for Ben. It is bad news for Ben. And I always had this uh, this thought that if Pouncey were to retire, the Ben would potentially retire. I feel like those guys are like uh, joined at the hip Siamese twins, um, you know, figurative Siamese twins, but uh, I, I just always felt like that was that connection. So I don't know, maybe we're not done with the the retirement news just yet. It is crazy. And that's going to lead us into a bigger point about quarterbacks that I want to make. But I just want to remind everybody, please rate, review and subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show. You'll get this show. You'll get all our shows. We really appreciate it. We have soared past 100 ratings since uh, before Super Week started. We really appreciate it. Please keep those coming. So what we're going to do today is sort of give you some broad takeaways from the fantasy football season that you can keep you warm with throughout the offseason. Then we're going to have an interview with Bucky Brooks from the NFL Network. Got a chance to catch up with him last night and just sort of give you our general thoughts on the fantasy season. You mentioned the Steelers and possible retirement, Kate. I mean, Adam Schefter had a tweet that blew my mind that I just sent to you. And basically he says that there are potentially 18 quarterbacks that could change teams this offseason. He actually thinks there might even be more than that. One of those guys was Ben Roethlisberger. He's got a huge cap hit with the Steelers. You're a Steeler fan. Is Ben back next year? Uh, I don't think so. I this is uh, Maybe this is me wishful thinking because I do want to save. Uh, they have a ton of dead money with Roethlisberger. So, you know, that that hurts regardless, but they can save about 20 million if he retires. I Part of me just wonders if, uh, you know, Pouncey's moved on. If if all of these other pieces are sort of moving on, we already feel that changing of the guard. Does Ben have a, a reason to come back? I don't know. Because I, I, I can't picture 
Uh, I, I really can't picture the, the, you know, just the vibe of Pittsburgh without Pouncey and Ben. I just feel like they are so the, the face of the offense. Um, I, I, I don't think so. I don't think he's back, but lots of other movement that could make uh, some room for uh, another quarterback maybe to come into Pittsburgh. Uh, the Steelers already signed Dwayne Haskins. I don't think he's exactly the future of the franchise, but mm-hmm. uh, there's there's a lot of available pieces on the market, and we're not even including the 2021 draft class, which is kind of insane. Yes, and this is the crazy thing, and I wanted to ask you about this because let's say that we see this kind of quarterback moving, and Schefter's right, and 16 or 18 guys move. Everything I know about who to draft in fantasy is centered on who's the quarterback for these teams. If all these guys are changing teams, how do I do my draft next year? Uh, a wing and a prayer, I think, is is the the correct method. Um, I mean, you know, looking at the fantasy season, there's always going to be uh, some some turnover. But I think uh, you know, you had mentioned before the pod that uh, we we have maybe some turnover at the quarterback position, but we do have this like slew of wide receivers who are about to kill it in the NFL. The 2020 draft class was absolutely monstrous. Um, all of these big names uh, who actually made an impact in fantasy, hopefully we're going to at least know their uh, their place in our fantasy drafts. And we'll figure out the quarterback situation later because you know what? Quarterback, it is definitely the the position, you know, if, if you're playing in a two quarterback league, obviously there's there's lots of scarcity there. But quarterbacks, a, a general position that I say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to worry about that one later. Well, OK, so then our, this is my question to you. Are wide receivers sort of getting to that point? Because you mentioned it. I mean, Justin Jefferson, Jerry Judy, Brandon Ayuk, Henry Ruggs, CeeDee Lamb. Like there are a ton of guys and those are just the rookies from last year. Is receiver now a position where you're like, I can wait because there's just so much depth there? I actually think uh, that that is certainly a possibility. I think we're always looking at the the early round running back, and it didn't quite pan out this year with all the, the Christian McCaffrey injuries, Saquon Barkley. There were a lot of injuries on the front end, but generally speaking, when we're thinking about our first round picks, it's always uh, almost safest to assume running back. I have a feeling that you know, we're going to get even even more wide or running back heavy than we've seen uh, in recent years. And it is be- like all of those names you mentioned, like it said, it's just the rookie class. But look at, uh, you know, the emergence of Stefan Diggs. He's got to be drafted in the top 10 easily um, in, in redraft leagues for the coming year. Um, and, and he wasn't even a guy I think we were considering for a third rounder last season. Wow. So we're we're looking at a ton of movement and and uh, even uh, Michael Thomas. I, I think his draft uh, draft stock is going to take a little bit of a hit. He was everybody's consensus wide receiver one this season. And I don't think uh, I don't think that'll be the case for for the season to come. There's going to be a lot of wide receivers on the board, and that's going to allow you a lot of flexibility in your fantasy drafts. There were. 16 wide receivers this past season that went over a thousand yards and there were seven that went for 10 or more touchdowns. There were only eight running backs this year that ran for a thousand yards and there were eight guys that put up 10 plus touchdowns. So I think you're right. Running backs are going to be sort of in demand early, but how many true stud 
bell cow number one running backs do you think are left? Derrick Henry. <laughs> End of list. Uh, no, the running back by committee is a thing, and it hurts. It hurts very badly for fantasy managers. Looking at just the the overall landscape of the NFL, they're getting smarter. Uh, I, I think coaching staffs are, are realizing uh, they they need to preserve uh, everybody except the coaching staff of the Tennessee Titans. Uh, they're they're looking to preserve some of those miles on the tires because they don't want to. Uh, I don't think they want to. Um, you know, necessarily burn out their guys. And now we're looking at the fact that we're going to have uh, a 17 game season. Uh, that's a adding an extra game to the slate does, uh, I think, change things a little bit. They might need to uh, make sure they're keeping their guys fresh because uh, on the, the tail end of that, hopefully you're going to have a playoff run. Um, so we might see coaches being a little bit more mindful of that in the season to come. So my takeaway there it's a bummer for fantasy but this just means you know you got to play to your league's rules if you're in a ppr league that needs to be a a a huge 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 uh factor in your drafting it just play to your league rules and find all the loopholes you can a rushing quarterback is the cheat the the ppr running back is a cheat you got to find the cheats starting Taysom hill at tight end like I did this year for one week at ESPN that was a pretty good cheat that was the best week of all of our lives (laughs) um okay you mentioned the running quarterback thing I want to get to that later but can we go through some running back like were you serious that you think Derrick Henry is literally the only one yeah I I really think that uh I mean even Zeke uh I I don't think that you know he was he was perfectly healthy this season but uh, Zeke is a guy that I just thought would perennially perennial perennially Perennially. Yep. Uh, perennial. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Perennial. Year after year. Year after year. Zeke is one of those guys year after year who I just sort of assumed was locked into that RB1. He's guaranteed 400 touches. They're going to feed him into the ground. And I mean, we saw Tony Pollard get involved this season. And um, I mean, there were a couple of leagues where I sort of had to, to, play him in a flex spot in a couple of weeks and it didn't hurt me um which that's scary I want I want to be hurt by having to do that um you know Kenyon Drake we thought he was going to be uh the guy and and handle all of those touches he's a capable receiver but we saw the uh, Cliff Kingsbury really looking to get Chase Edmonds involved I feel like you know there's really I don't know. Can you think of any more stud running backs that are just have the backfield to themselves? James Robinson is maybe the only other one I could think of, but I don't think we have a great idea of, of what Jacksonville's planning to do just yet, if he's going to be a part of their future or not. And we have no idea. I mean, once Trevor Lawrence joins them, which by the way, today is Trevor Lawrence's pro day. He's throwing for people. I have no idea why. It's not like we we all know what's about to happen with Trevor <laughs> Lawrence, don't we? Like what what is the point of him throwing? What more do we need to see from him? I'm not not totally sure. He he has clearly had that that QB one position locked up from the get go. Um, I, I definitely think the other quarterbacks in this class, like, you know, Justin Fields, who just ended the season on such a, a crazy, crazy level. Um, like those are the guys that could probably stand to to shift some opinions and and shake things up because of how uh, how for granted we've just taken the the Trevor Lawrence position as the QB one. But 
I, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what he's planning to do. I, I don't know why you would plan, especially uh, we just had the the news. I believe he has a, a shoulder injury, correct? I know it's his non-throwing arm, but, but why? Yeah. Torn labrum. That also can't just feel good in general, but apparently he, you know, he's really important. He gets those 50 throws out. Like <laughs> maybe Jacksonville will wait an extra five minutes when they're on the clock if he doesn't look so good. I know. And you know what? I hate that when there's like the consensus number one overall pick and then we just have to wait and wait and and they just don't throw the pick in. They make a, a big to do of it. I'm sure we'll get that uh, regardless of how well he throws at his program. <laughs> yeah, you know why they do that, don't you? They, the teams like when we talk, when the media talks about them. So they wait sometimes before they get their pick in because they know that ESPN and NFL Network are going to be actually talking about them for a change. <laughs> I, I gotta respect that it, it's a hustle like I yeah, said I, you have to find the the cheats where you can uh that that's one of the NFL cheats okay let's get to some of these other running backs like like Josh Jacobs with the Vegas Raiders is he like a stud number one guy or you still think he's you know not that not at that level yet I love 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 Josh Jacobs and if they were handing him the ball uh in every down scenario Yes, but they are not. They took him off the field far too often on third down. I really thought that this was going to be the season that we saw him uh, rise to the occasion and become, you know, a true three down back. Maybe not that they'd, they'd throw the ball to them that often. I know he's he's previously begged for targets from from Derek Carr, but they took him off the field far too often. Um, you know, I, I think maybe the only how about Dalvin Cook? Right. Dalvin Cook's probably okay. the the other exception. Um, you know, Aaron Jones. We don't we don't know where Aaron Jones is going to be. So all of these guys that I feel like we have just taken for granted in that that true workhorse role. I have a lot of questions about I I, I don't know. Even Jonathan Taylor, we saw him uh, explode in the second half of the season, but uh could definitely stand to be more involved as a receiver. I don't Derrick Henry is really the only only guy I'm I'm looking at and I feel like it, we should be considering him as the number 1 overall pick and and I'm not sure why we're not doing that because he's he's done this for two consecutive years now. What more do we need to see from Derrick Henry uh to prove that he is a a, a top end running back with RB1 potential? So you're giving me Ajita right now because basically what you've set up is wait to take your wide receivers, mm -hmm. wait to take your quarterback. You got to go running back first, but unless you have the first overall pick and you get Derrick Henry, <laughs> there's really no other stud guy that you can count on. So right away in my draft, I'm already nervous that I have mm -hmm. screwed it up. You know what? It, the best thing is, and I think this is probably the biggest takeaway of your of your fantasy football drafts, you don't win it at the draft. You win it in season, paying attention, listening to the football cheat sheet every Friday. You, yep. Those are the moves that you uh, you make in season, keeping a, a keen eye on the waiver wire. There are so many ways to win your leagues. Um, it, it's just the fantasy landscape is really interesting right now. And, and I'm very interested to see how we're going to uh, – see you know the 17 game season affect the fantasy landscape like i said i'm I, i'm hoping that they don't take away even more touches from from guys just to keep them fresh for for another another season um i don't know it, it's definitely tough but 
uh, I think, you know, we we can put all the pieces together. That's an interesting thought, because I had told people for years that I thought kind of the opposite of what you said, that fantasy baseball was won through the waiver wire during the year. But I always said that football was basically won on draft day. But now you're saying that we are at a point where that is not the case and you have to be sort of just as vigilant every week. Oh, absolutely. You got to be aggressive. Like think of uh, think of the the number of people who saw James Robinson play week one. He wasn't on anybody's radars. He, mm-hmm. he literally went undrafted in fantasy leagues last year. It's kind of crazy because he dominated the FCS and and he still somehow came out of nowhere. Uh, we didn't believe the Jaguars coaching staff when they told us like, yeah, we, we already have our guy. And we're like, no, you don't. Don't <laughs> don't play games with me. And you know what? He came out and, as the RB7. And guess what? Wow. So if you were watching week one and you, you watched that tape because James Robinson looked fantastic on tape week one from the get go. If you were watching that game and you put in a nice waiver claim for James Robinson, you literally secured yourself a three down back, uh, a top 10 running back, and you, you got him for free. You didn't you didn't even have to draft him. Um, you know, Mike Davis, he ended up as a top 12 running back due to injury. But uh, you know what? If you if you got that waiver claim, you were set up pretty nicely in the first half of the season, obviously tapered off there. But it's all about being, uh, you know, keened in on this this NFL news because there is so much that that changes. Teams keep getting smarter and smarter, um, and there there really is a method to some of the madness that we see from these NFL teams. It's just a matter of decoding it sometimes. And you're like you said, that's a reason why you got to listen to the football cheat sheet every week. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get to your other takeaway because you had a note on quarterbacks that you think people need to know about. Absolutely. So I, I have, uh, you know, we've entered the point of the off season where uh, we like to debate about fantasy football because we don't have real football to talk about anymore. Um, and every single year, I feel like we have uh, these big arguments about, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes finishes as the QB one. Obviously he is the QB one the following year, Lamar Jackson. He was the QB one. Obviously he is the QB one the following year. I think we need to rid ourselves of these narratives and start, uh, start, you know, assessing from a bank Blake slate. Um, you know, I, I, I think I, fell into the Lamar Jackson trap last season. I didn't want to, but a lot of people did. And you drafted the quarterback 12 in probably the second round of your fantasy drafts. So it hurts that like that hurts. So let's stop banking on these performances and let's uh, assess on an like clean slate every single year for me from now on. Um, Anybody can finish as the QB one and they're probably not going to, uh, to repeat in that category the following year. Josh Allen, QB1 this year, probably won't finish as the QB1 next year. That is okay. Uh, we can it, we can start fresh. Um, and that's not to say the, the quarterback position isn't important, but uh, there's, there's just so much. Uh, th- there are so many available quarterbacks, like we said, uh, who do have the potential to be uh, a starter, um, you know, when uh, we we're talking about uh, the loss of JJ Watt, you know, even teams with poor defenses who lose some of those key defensive assets, like uh, a bad quarterback uh, can can benefit from 
the loss of defensive assets for fantasy. It's not good for your like actual NFL teams, but if you're having to throw the ball 50, 55 times a game just to play catch up, all of those garbage time points uh, catch up. And that is why Blake Bortles once finished as a top five quarterback. So like oh my God. <laughs> we can, we can just tune into all of these other uh, things. I think we uh, let's not get lazy with our analysis. I want to, I want to build from the ground up every single season so that we make sure we are giving our listeners the best information so they can win their leagues, not at the draft, but throughout the year. And if we see as much quarterback movement as we think we could potentially see, you really can't rely on last year anyway. I mean, think about, I mean, Deshaun Watson obviously was great last year with the Texans, but if he, you know, his, I feel like outlook looks different if he winds up, say, I don't know, with a team that plays in San Francisco, maybe that I happen to cover for SB Nation. <laughs> like how much different does he look when he's surrounded by Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, yada, yada, as opposed to a Texan squad that really doesn't have a lot around him. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think looking at the available weapons, I mean, the the Texans didn't do uh, Deshaun Watson any favors this year. Let's be honest that I mean, I, I we agreed literally from the moment the trade was announced, DeAndre Hopkins uh, moving away from the Texans was just it, that was a terrible deal. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, you wouldn't even get that trade accepted in fantasy. But taking away those those key weapons for him, definitely it changes the way these quarterbacks have to play the game. Um, and and it can sometimes take away some of those those playbook um, pieces that, you know, maybe, you know, everybody has their favorite plays. Everybody knows uh, what they're comfortable with. Sometimes removing those those key offensive weapons from that quarterback's arsenal can uh, definitely change what they're able to to accomplish on the field. So I would I would love to see uh, absolutely Deshaun Watson and imagine imagine the rushing yards that he might accumulate under Kyle Shanahan and uh, I'm I'm just gonna imagine him. I'm gonna uh, imagine my Raheem Mostert shares. Um, they're they're gonna be a perfect pair, and they are going to dominate the league in rushing yards. Can you even win with a quarterback now that doesn't accumulate rushing yards, or do you basically have to factor that in? So I was actually looking about looking at this before we before we started off because I mean that that's definitely the cheat code. Uh, it, it's cheat code right out of the gate. But there were some quarterbacks who performed uh, top tier and they did not have a, a ton of impact on the ground. Aaron Rodgers, who's a guy that I think historically we just consider very mobile um, and we consider him as uh, sometimes not not a true rushing quarterback, but we consider him a scrambler. Um, he finished in the top five with only 149 receiving or rushing yards. Tom Brady finished the year with six rushing yards (laughs) and he was the quarterback seven so there are a couple of guys bucking the trend but I think the the takeaway there is that these guys are are generational passers Uh, so unless you're looking at a generation generational passer uh, your best bet is to go with a Russian quarterback who's who's going to accumulate some of those cheat points and then the last quarterback question I wanted to ask you is We've got some names in the draft that you mentioned, Trevor Lawrence, Wilson, Justin Fields. Are there there's too many good quarterbacks to to bank on one of those guys in your draft, right? You're not drafting any of those guys to be your starter next year, are you? Are you that risky? 
I'm not that risky. I'm I'm not ever that risky. Uh, I'm I'm more of a safe play when it comes to the quarterback. I'll take my I'll take my reliable uh, like Ryan Tannehill. I feel like is a great example, an efficient quarterback who uh, we know has a great ceiling, but um, is just in a, a good offensive system with a good and established running game. Um, I tend to like to uh, play it a little bit safer, but there are just so many options at quarterback this season. Uh, Justin Herbert, I think, is a candidate that easily has top five potential in the seasons to come. It's just always a it's it feels like a game of roulette sometimes. But, um, you know, figuring out these these things that we want to look at and assess ahead of the season is just going to put us another step ahead um, in, in preparing for 2021. But if you were in, say, a dynasty league and you drafted Justin Herbert, like you're feeling pretty good. I'm feeling great. Um, I actually I did draft Justin Herbert in a couple of dynasty leagues. And uh-huh. uh, I, I am feeling fantastic because Justin Herbert, he wasn't a, uh, a highly touted, uh, though he was drafted, uh, what, top five. He, he wasn't a guy that everybody was very high on. I don't think anybody had uh, their their eyes set on the fact that he might become offensive rookie of the year. I, I I don't think anybody thought that he was going to come out and break the the rookie passing touchdowns record. Nobody was projecting that for Justin Herbert. Um, so I think seeing seeing what he was able to accomplish, maybe I, I don't know, maybe we're going to overdraft this this rookie class because we have uh, the twenty twenty class who just came out and dominated. You have you have Justin Jefferson, a wide receiver. It, so hard to to adjust to you know the wide receiver position get on the same position uh get on the same page with your your quarterback uh any normal season let alone a, a covid ridden terrible uh you know you're you're not getting camp reps you're you're not getting that same off season experience he came in and he dominated as a wide receiver one i don't know maybe we're going to overdraft all these guys it is crazy that Minnesota traded Stephon Diggs, who went on to be maybe the best receiver in the league this year, and they didn't even really miss him. That's that's kind of a that is a hell of a trade if you're Minnesota. It, it is, and they um, they definitely got a nice haul for uh, for Stephon Diggs. But I would say this is one of those those scenarios where you look and you're like, yeah, it kind of worked out for both ends, and that's. I guess that's that's sort of the goal of of trades in general, right? Is you want it to work out on both ends. Unless you're the one making the trade in your fantasy league true. and then you hope the other side just completely falls on their face. <laughs> that is true. Like most of the deals that I end up making. Okay. So that's just a couple <laughs> of fantasy takeaways for you. Uh, now we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to hear from Bucky Brooks. I had a chance to catch up with him last night about the Russell Wilson situation. He is not a fan of what Russell Wilson is doing. And as he said to me, quote, the Seahawks have created a monster. So when we come back, you hear from Bucky Brooks after the break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else. 
and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. This is the SB Nation NFL show. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero. Very pleased and privileged to be joined by Bucky Brooks from the NFL Network. You know him from Twitter at Bucky Brooks. And of course, one half of the Move the Sticks podcast along with Daniel Jeremiah. Bucky, thank you very much for the time. Well, thanks so much for having me on. You tweeted something a couple of days ago that I thought was really interesting. And it was comparing the situation with Deshaun Watson to the situation with Russell Wilson. You see those two situations as being very different. How are they different? They're different in terms of, like, what happened with Deshaun Watson based on all the reports. The Houston Texans went to Deshaun Watson. They promised him that they wanted to make him a part of the process. And then his frustration stems from the fact that they didn't include him in the process after they said that they were going to do it. So that's more of a violation of trust, miscommunication, and those things. What Russell Wilson is doing I believe has, there are a couple of different agendas to it. I think one, Russell wants to be viewed as and treated as Tom Brady and those guys. So he wants to have say and be able to give suggestions and do personnel things um, and that, which is great. But Russell also has gotten his money and Russell's guaranteed money comes off the books this year. So some of this to me, feels like another play and ploy to get back to the table to get more money. And when you're Russell Wilson and you've gotten all the money that you've gotten and you're saying that you want all of these things, you then can't go back and kind of argue or fight with the team saying, oh, I don't have the weapons around me. I don't have this. I don't have that. Well, yeah, you eat up the majority of the salary cap pie. And so it's just not fair for you after the fact to get your money then complain and do all these other things that he's doing it's a different situation from Deshaun because that is a communication issue Russell things is is bigger and broader than that so that's interesting so you are sort of on Deshaun's side and you're kind of telling Russ here kind of deal with it you took the money and this goes along with it well not even so much just that he, he he took the money I think Russ's thing is this right and what is annoying is because like he always has played the role of, hey, I'm team, 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 go Hawks, all that other mm-hmm. stuff, right? But everything that we hear is, hey, let Russ cook. Like, oh, we need to throw it more. I need to throw it more, whatever. But we have seen when the Seahawks play through him exclusively, that is not best for their team. They even tried to do it this year and had to go back to playing the way they always played because that is the best way for them to do it. He is a great player. He's a top five quarterback. He is all of that. But this team, whether he likes it or not, they are better when they play a certain style. And I think that what he's doing, and quarterbacks want to do this, right? Because he's talking about his legacy and how he's remembered and all those other things. I think what we're hearing from him now is more me, me, me than the we, we, we that we have been sold from him. I just think it's disingenuous the way that he's going about doing it. Yeah, it's kind of hard to to be me, me, me guy when you're ending every interview you do with Go Hawks. That seems to be kind of contradictory. It is contradictory. And I think 
it depends on how, how Russ wants to be known, right? So the first three years in the league, when the Seahawks went to two out of three Super Bowls, they won one. They had the interception at the end. He was kind of played as a game manager, meaning not that his talent suggested that he couldn't take the game over, but they ran that offense through Marshawn Lynch and the defense, and they won a lot of games that way. Well, you heard the infighting. You heard how the defensive players talked about how the team anointed Russell before maybe he had earned the right to be viewed as like the franchise guy. Well, now what you've done is you basically created a monster. And so now that monster wants to be fed and treated like he is the franchise guy and all those things. But the problem is, since they handed the team over to him like that, they haven't been back to another NFC Championship game. They haven't gone and won another Super Bowl. What has been the return on the investment when it comes to making it a Russell-centric squad? They haven't really gotten everything back that they thought they would get when they kind of helped him evolve from being the game manager to the primary playmaker. So what do you do now if you're John Schneider and the Seahawks? Well, I mean, I think obviously you heard the reports about them being annoyed by him coming out mm -hmm. and speaking like that. Because if Russ is the team guy and the leader that he proclaims to be, then he would have had a conversation with those guys before he went to the press. Because we do know this about Russell. Everything that he does is very calculated. The way that he portrays himself in front of the media is very calculated. The Go Hawks thing, the first thing, the leadership stuff, all of that has been his persona. This has been the first time that we've heard him come and stand in front of the mic and offer these complaints. I would just contend, has he told John Snyder and Pete Carroll this to their faces? Has he voiced his concerns to them before making it a bigger deal? Typically when players have issues and grievances, it normally goes back to the money. When we look, in, look at the deal and the terms of the deal, it is time to get paid because know this, Russell's base salary is $19 million. When you think about what Pat Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, what those guys are commanding, I do believe there are other motives outside of, oh, I need to be more involved in say, and oh, I need to upgrade an offensive line. And some of those sacks are on him too. I know he got sacked a lot, but some of, sometimes he holds the ball a long time. Well, absolutely. He does hold the ball a long time because he's a improvisational wizard. That's part of the good and the bad that comes along with him. He doesn't necessarily play the game according to script. And that has worked out well for him and the Seahawks. But you can't point your finger and say, oh, we need to upgrade the line when your playing style leads to some of the negative plays and some of the hits that he has taken. I just think he needs to just come out and say what it is that he really wants as opposed to kind of hiding behind all of this innuendo. Just say, hey, my contract is coming up. I would like to see it addressed. Um, I do legitimately want, and everybody, here's the thing about Brock and AB, but they were complimentary pieces to what was already there. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. The game wasn't necessarily run through Tom Brady. He was winning games, winning those things, and he doesn't seem to be as willing to be the guy that, oh, this week I need to be the game manager. Other weeks, I need to throw it more. We're seeing more of his ego kind of get into the mix as opposed to the team-friendly Russ that everybody has grown to love. So is this a new Russ that we're seeing now, or is this the same Russell Wilson it's always been? He's just deciding to sort of lower that facade a little bit. 
I mean, I won't say that he's fake or whatever. I would say that it's certainly different than the Russell that we've seen. And look, all these quarterbacks, every quarterback has an ego. Like that's part of playing the position. Like they've been told that they're the most important player on the field. They're treated differently than everybody else. So we understand that part of it. But when we talk about the team and the fabric of the team and the number one objective of everybody in the team is to win, when Russ is always kind of hid behind, hey, I'm a team guy, I want the team to do this, this is the first time that he's broken away from that. So I think the big thing would be, Russ, what is the deal? What is this really all about? Because they've tried to provide you with weapons. They've drafted some offensive linemen before. They've committed money to offensive linemen. It may not work out the way that you want to work out, but have you looked inward and looked at your playing style and say that, hey, every time that I take the snap, I play according to script. We would say no. And so he has to make sure that he's accountable for his mistakes and his flaws before he points the finger at his teammates and also management for not taking care of him and helping him, I guess, be the player that he needs to be to help the team go to the next level. So now let's flip this over to Deshaun Watson. This, as you have said, seems to be an issue of trust between Watson and the organization. Deshaun has a no trade clause. If he wants to, he can play hardball with the Texans and I think have a significant amount of power in terms of where he goes. Do you think that he will actually do that? Or do you think that he will eventually come back, show up for, you know, whatever sort of offseason program there ends up being and eventually everybody just moves on? You know, so the funny thing about this situation with Deshaun, if I'm the Houston Texans, I don't have to feel compelled to do anything. All of the leverage is on the Texans' side. The Texans, under the new terms of the CBA, the fines are prohibitive for Deshaun Watson if he doesn't show up. $50,000 a day, they can again begin to eventually go after his signing bonus, which was $27 million. I think if they go back, they could ask for maybe upwards of $21 million coming back. So... At the end of the day, he can kind of have these things where he's protesting and voicing his displeasure. But if I'm the Houston Texans, I got to call his bluff because does he really want to sit out and not make the money that has been out there and put in his contract? I think that's the thing. And so he may, it may seem like it's a player empowerment deal in his favor, but actually the Texans hold the cards in this one. It is on them, Nick Casario, and I guess Jack Easterby, to see if they can hold firm and say, look, it's business. We understand that we didn't communicate the right way, but we're not trading you away because it's too hard to find quarterbacks that can play the game at the level that he plays at. Even if that means he might not necessarily be all in, you know, he might not be willing to show up early, stay late, do the sort of optional things that that great quarterbacks do. I think here's the thing with, with Deshaun. I, if I am the Texans, I call his bluff. I see how long is he willing to take this into the regular season? Is he willing to miss all of whatever the offseason looks like? Is he willing to miss training camp? Will he not come when the regular season kicks off? In my mind, when the money starts to leave his pockets, that's when we'll know if he's really going to stand on his principles. And so I'm not trading him away. I'm not caving to that because if I'm Nick Casario, I don't want to set a precedent that any player can do this. So, yeah, I have to hold firm on this, and I have to see if he's really willing to play hardball. Most times, players are not. So let's just see how this looks at the end of the day. Let's zoom out now from just talking about quarterbacks and look at the bigger picture because the salary cap is going down. 
teams are going to have to cut guys to make sure they can get under this lower cap, which I think is going to be like 180 or $182 million, something like that. Do you think it's possible that a lot of free agents who are looking to get paid say, hey, look, 2021 is going to be a weird year. Maybe I just sign a one-year deal and go chase a ring and hook up with Tom Brady or hook up with Patrick Mahomes and just for one year take a little less money and then next year I can get my big deal. No, like I, I think in theory that sounds great, but the NFL has shown us teams will pay who they want to bet. Like if they want to pay a player, they'll find a way to, to make it happen. And so hopefully if you're on the free agent market, you're one of those marquee guys that teams want. If you're not, then I think your point has to fall into consideration. Um, hey, maybe I'm not a, a five-star free agent this year. Maybe I do sign with a team on a one-year term and hit the market again. But I really think it's weighing the risk and the reward. Am I willing to risk the injury for maybe a bigger reward? Or am I just going to take the best deal that I can get now because of bird in hand? It's better than two in the bush. Okay, you mentioned injury. So now, I'm unfortunately, I have to go back to the quarterback because you made me think of Dak Prescott. The Cowboys have been working on this deal for years, seemingly. They can't seem to get it done. Now they're in a situation where I think a franchise tag would cost them about $37 million. How do you see that situation working out? Man, there's so many ways that this can go, right? Because the leverage is now flipped from the team to the player. Mm -hmm. And I know people will say, well, how can it go to the player? He's coming off an injury. But in those games that he played, he showed the football world that this team is drastically different when he's on it and when he's not. The offense was averaging about 11 more points per game when he was at quarterback. He impacted the performance of Ezekiel Elliott and Amari Cooper. When you look at their numbers, their numbers were impacted with his presence. And so now, Dak Prescott, who I think you can make the argument Whatever you think about Deshaun Watson, you probably need to think about Dak Prescott in that same vein based on the numbers and the production. So Dak can sit and say, hey, you know what? If you don't want to meet me at my terms, I'll play on this franchise tag again, and I will see what it looks like for me when I hit an open market. We've never really seen franchise quarterbacks hit the open market. The last one we saw was Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins cashed in in a major way. Dak Prescott has the ability to do the same because over two years, if he signs the tag again, in two years, he would have made $68 million in guaranteed money. Then the tag has to go up where I think it would be 50, 54, 55 million based on the calculation. <laughs> he has them over the barrel now. And so he can play the game the way that he wants it to play. Because everyone is like, well, what about Andrew? The insurance policies that he will get, he will be fine with that. The other money that he has made, in terms of off-the-field endorsements, he is fine when it comes to the cash. He now gets a chance to make a business decision. But let me say this about the Dallas Cowboys and the franchise tag. If they do that, I think the Cowboys can say, you know what, we're Super Bowl or bust because they have a lot of money that can come off the books in 2022 if they want it. They can look and see what this team looks like with Dak Prescott, Mike McCarthy. They can make decisions to blow it all up after this season and start from scratch. That doesn't mean that Dak isn't in their future. It just means that they also could elect to say, let's do this one-year rental thing and see what it looks like at the end of 21. And so playing on the franchise tag could actually be a win-win for both teams based on 
what Dak's leverage is and based on what the Cowboys may look around and see, the deals that have gone sour to Carson Wentz and Jerry Goff, they may continue to slow play it just to see if they can put themselves in the best situation to field a Super Bowl team going forward. Is it crazy to think that Jerry Jones might get frustrated and say, you know what, let's put the transition tag or the non-exclusive franchise tag on Dak, and when somebody offers us two first-round picks, which somebody will, they take the first two round, two first-round picks, draft another quarterback, and just move on from this whole thing? You know, like, if they had finished in the top five, where I could tell you confidently that they would give one of the top three quarterbacks, I would say that wouldn't be a bad strategy or tactic to take. But now that you're sitting at pick 10, it makes it harder because you're not – guaranteed to get a, a marquee quarterback. Also, I think in the building, I think they have a greater appreciation for Dak Prescott after seeing what it looks like without him. Hmm. And so I don't think Jerry Jones wants to move on from him, but he's a businessman. And businessmen like to feel like they win deals. The reason this has become a very expensive deal for the Cowboys is because they are trying to win the deal. This is one that I don't know if they can win it based on where they're at now. Because now, at a minimum, they got to pay $40 million annually for the quarterback. Does Jerry Jones want to pay that much money? Yeah, that's true. He's got to find a way to kind of save faith through this whole thing. And, yeah, they, you're right. Dak totally has them over a barrel, which, frankly, I love to see because I'm a pro player kind of a guy. Uh, Bucky, <laughs> thank you very much for the time. We really appreciate it. Again, you can follow him on Twitter, at Bucky Brooks co-host of the move the sticks podcast with daniel jeremiah and you see him all over nfl network as well thanks again and hopefully we can do it again soon hey for sure call me anytime thanks again to bucky brooks we really appreciate the time and thanks to you kate for putting up with me michael kiss <laughs> couldn't be in today so i appreciate you letting me sit in this was an absolute pleasure uh always always love talking fantasy no matter who it's with and you were an absolute delight i i don't want to speak for kiss but you're welcome back anytime Oh, see, I'm slowly going to host every show in the SB Nation <laughs> NFL. So that is my goal. We're, now I'm at three. We'll get there. Monday Football Monday, <laughs> I'm coming for you. For Kate Majuk and Rob Stats Guerrero, I hope you enjoyed the show. Again, rate, review, and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Keep them coming. If you leave a question in your review, we will read it on the show happily. And buckle up. This offseason is going to be so much fun. Every day you wake up, you could get an update on your phone that makes you swear out loud because you didn't see it coming. Today was J.J. Watt getting cut. Who knows what it's going to be tomorrow, but we'll be with you through all of it.